0: Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grombacher and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Gabe Luna Ostaseski. Gabe, are you ready to do this? Let's do this, George. Excellent. Let's, let's do this. Gabe is the founder and chief revenue officer at Brain Trust. They are the first user-controlled talent network that connects organizations with highly skilled tech talent. I'm excited to have you on. Gabe, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do.
1: Yeah, well, so my my first, like my path to being in tech was not a direct line, right? I I grew up on a matriarchal hippie commune in Northern California (laughs) and somehow found my way into building tech companies. Uh, The first company I started was around, I was around 18 years old. And I think since then I've been unemployable. Uh, This is my fourth, uh, fourth company here in Silicon Valley. And also have a venture capital firm called Upshift Capital, so it, it's been an interesting path to find my way into building building tech companies. Uh, but there's a I think a love for me of of creating and building, um, and and that's you know one of the main things that drives me today.
0: Nice, I love it. So born and raised on a commune, how has that uh sort of followed you out through followed you through life?
1: Uh, let's see. You know I, I think. A couple of components when i when I kind of go in the rewind machine, one was that you know growing up, I didn't know anyone that had a traditional job, right? People were carpenters or or entrepreneurs or you know all all variety of different folks, but kind of had checked out of the traditional you know nine to five corporate America. one because you're just frankly too far away. Um, and also because they they just were making an active choice to do the do you know work on their own terms. And so I think that's something that's always kind of been in the back of my mind. Is is the the work that I choose to do is is work that I do on my own terms, and I've never really kind of plugged into the normal, you know, go to go to school, go get a job, um, and and follow the traditional path.
0: Well, I certainly appreciate that, and I mean, I'm sure it was a a a, a pretty well. Do you think that it was a great experience L- looking yeah, back in that really rewind I machine?
1: Mean, I would say it shaped me and who I am, and in in doing work on my own terms, but also I would say the environment that I grew up in was one that was one that really valued people I would say making their own decisions in life and also caring for others, obviously living in a, in a in somewhat communal environment, your interactions with other people, how you show up in, in relationships with other people is, is really important. And so that's something that's always kind of been a through line in my work and, and potentially what, what interested me in building marketplaces. And that, that's kind of like where I fell in love with building marketplaces is essentially, how do I how do you use this really powerful technology to connect people? Whether that's people, you know, in uh, you know, in in a wide variety of categories. The the category that I'm focused on now is is obviously you know connecting people with jobs.
0: Yeah. So walk me through your 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 building companies. You're 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 doing all these things, and you see a problem, and you say, you know what, that that's a problem right there. I'm going to work to start addressing it. So take me through that process.
1: Yeah, so, so I've been building two-sided, building and investing in two-sided marketplaces essentially since I was 21 years old um, across a variety of different industries. Um, actually probably built and invested in over 40 uh, from ride sharing to insurance and healthcare and kind of everything in between. And so I, I got a front row seat in seeing how powerful these business models can become. They've been the most dominant business models of the last 20 years. But you also get a front row seat to seeing some of the what I would call kind of the externalities of these models. Um, So they have kind of two core problems. Number one is they're really capital inefficient to build. Typically in Silicon Valley, you have to raise billions of dollars to try to build these marketplaces Mm -hmm. because you have to subsidize one side to get them to show up. Um, And the second thing is that they've been these I would say they they are wealth extractors meaning that they build value on the backs of users and then concentrate that value to to the investors. You know, there's some obviously some some real stark examples of this now. Right. Um, Uber building a 90 billion dollar enterprise company on the backs of drivers and drivers you know, living out of their cars mm-hmm. um, or, you know, or, or companies like DoorDash. So, listen, I, I saw that and I said, listen, th- th- there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to build these marketplaces And to to grow them in a way that doesn't require so much capital and also that doesn't essentially extract you know extract value on the backs of users. So I reconnected with a a longtime friend of mine, Adam Jackson, and and we started looking at like what would the third wave or what would the next wave of marketplaces look like and how would they be built? And and that developed into a thesis which we called the user-owned economy, which is essentially: could you build a, a marketplace? And, and actually have it owned and operated by the users and have the value accrue to the users rather than, you know, a small group of investors in Silicon Valley. So we, we got really passionate about that idea um, of a more kind of fair and equitable way to build a marketplace. And that's, you know, some of what drove us to, to, to start BrainTrust. In the beginning, it was actually just, it was a thesis looking for a category. Mm-hmm. And we looked at a bunch of categories, right? We looked at ride sharing and food delivery, and we, we, you know, kind of went went essentially category by category. And, and where we landed was, you know, connecting kind of Fortune 1,000 companies like, you know, Nestle and uh, Porsche and you know Pacific Life, with highly skilled technical talent that they need to be able to you know build new customer experiences, whether that's you know mobile applications or websites or or you know machine learning algorithms.
0: Got it. All right. So I've been on this, this, uh, this, this kick as of late. Um, I'm mildly embarrassed by the fact that I was unfamiliar with first principle uh, reasoning up until very recently. And now I'm fascinated by it. And and, and I look forward everywhere. And I I, I think that one of the things it talks about is don't reason by analogy. So I was just trying to think, okay, what is the similar to and I realized, well, that's not the right way to go about it. You wanted to figure out, okay, what what is this really perfect system that that we're trying to build that's actually going to serve the the organizations, but then also more importantly, the the actual people who are who are doing the work? Uh, and so you settled on this um, owned and operated by the user's model. So the, it certainly makes sense to me why you would do that. what are what are the big challenges with actually doing that? not having the money up front to, 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 to build the thing. What else?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, uh,
0: if so, to use that
1: example or use that framework or mental model, you know, if you strip down marketplaces and you say like, well, why are they so capital efficient, inefficient to build? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one of the reasons is that the way in which they've traditionally been built is that you have to get both, kind of parties to show up at, at you know, at the, at the sandbox at the same time, mm-hmm. right, to get liquidity. And so the way that that's typically done is you raise a billion dollars and you essentially spend a bunch of money on Google AdWords or, or Facebook advertising and, and you have this kind of big waste machine uh, for many, many years. And so if you, if you were to strip that back and you say, okay, well, if that's a core problem, how could you do that in, in a much more effective way? And our approach was well let's actually give the users you know ownership and control in the form of a blockchain token when they help to grow the network so as an example you know we, we have no marketing spend at all like we don't spend a, a penny on on paid advertising what we do is we reward the talent for inviting other talent and we also reward the talent for inviting clients to join the network And so imagine if you were to I guess this is reasoning by analogy but it is a good example. Ima- imagine a world where, you know, Airbnb was started and people could actually own earn ownership and control in an Airbnb as, you know, as people renting out their houses by inviting people to come and stay in their houses or by staying in people's houses and inviting other people to open up their houses. You you can hmm. imagine how fast that might grow. Yeah. And so that's that's one of the kind of the core, you know, core things of core core principles here is is let's rather than spend a bunch of money on, on advertising, let's actually incentivize the network to help grow itself. And that's, it's both the opportunity and the challenge, right? It's, it's a new thing that nobody's done before.
0: Yeah. And fundamentally that makes perfect sense that people support what they help to create. So I imagine that you find that people are, are way more engaged in the process of, of finding new users, finding new, new potential clients, customer or I guess both. Um, so, how 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 long has has this been in place, um, and and how is it going?
1: Yeah, so we uh, started the company. We started working on this in the beginning part of 2018. Uh, we raised a small round of venture capital towards the end of 2018, and then all of 2019 we're essentially building the platform, and then took it into invite only beta at the beginning of uh, beginning of 2020. Um, and it came out of the gates really, really strong. Obviously, January, February, March, and then like M- March 20th, like the global economy sh- jammed on the brakes, right. and it was a scary time for us as as founders, right? Building something new, and and building it right in the middle of basically a a global s- slam on the brakes from every single enterprise. And it was for about two months. It was it was a little bit scary and tenuous. And then the strange thing happened at the beginning of June all the enterprises started calling back and they said hey listen we can't get into our own offices right yeah um the way we used to hire just doesn't work anymore and guess what like we now need to to accelerate our digital transformation like this the move to e-commerce or the move to digital transformation that that we were going to do in five years and guess what we need to do it in a year Mm -hmm. so we were just inundated with with you know, large, massive ongoing projects from big enterprises. And then we just got, I would say we've been barely keeping up with demand from from that point. And we have multiple large, multiple Fortune 1000s in every single category, every single industry now.
0: Well, congratulations. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. I would say like a lot of hard work, a little bit of luck and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, you know, new business model that that really, you know,
0: incentivizes the the network to grow itself. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. And one of those good problems to have was now you have all these, all these great, big, fantastic companies, but then theoretically speaking, not, not enough users. So how, how have you been able to address that?
1: You know, it's been really interesting that the, we have, we have a 40,000 person waiting list on the user side, uh, on the talent side. Um, that's been totally organic, right? Haven't spent a penny to, you know, to bring on any talent in the network. So I think what that speaks to is that, you know, in, a, in localized markets, if you look at like Mountain View or something like that, there's a talent shortage, right, of, of technical talent. If you open the aperture and you look globally, there's actually, a, and there's amazing people around the world that just don't have the same access. So what, what we say is, you know, talent is equally distributed around the world. Opportunity is not, mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do here is essentially bring opportunity, enable you know, amazing talented people around the world to be able to work for NASA and work for Nestle and work for Porsche that they never would have been able to individually get just because they're not either in those regions.
0: Fascinating. So, all right, um, now just some things that popped into my head were when you start dealing with, well, I know that every company has intellectual property. And when we're talking about NASA or defense, then I suppose it's even more or, or banking or whatever, financial services, then you're, you're needing to hire people who are obviously vetted. Um, how do you handle the security concerns?
1: Yeah. So I think upfront, what we do is a really an intense amount of vetting, both in, in asynchronous testing and certifications, and then also actual live interviews with other people in the network. And so, right now, it's about 1.5% of the people that apply to the network actually are approved and can work, can actually bid on projects for these big companies. So, so it's a, a huge upfront screening. Um, and the advantage to that, of course, is that like <laughs> our enterprises say like we would hire every single person that you put in front of us because we do so much screening up front. Yeah. Um and so that that's probably the main way. And then and then post you know, the upfront screening, you know, th- these are easier problems to solve these days, right? With with the the technology and tools that exist for VPNs and and you know, security software for running remote. And I think that's uh Companies' investment in those technologies has probably pushed forward a decade in the last five months. Wow. Just having to move their own internal teams to fully remote.
0: Yeah, totally fascinating, right? Okay. Um, so 1.5% of the people who, who apply are actually approved. Part of me w- was honestly, I, I, I was kind of thinking that you were going to say that, that, sure, you do vetting process, but but you really leave it up to uh, the end user. But it sounds like you're doing a ton of work on the front end and, and, and really delivering a, I don't want to call it a finished product, but a, a pretty, at least well-vetted candidate.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, it happens all the time where, you know, client right now, 85% of the enterprise like posts or projects on the platform get five people matched within 48 hours. <laughs> and the, the feedback has been pretty consistent, which is we would hire every single one of these people. And it, oftentimes they do, they actually go back and get more budget and they hire all of them. And, you- and so just, you know, this old way of, of, of you know, finding and, and hiring talent where you post a job ad and you get a hundred PDF resumes and you're sort of like screening through all this, not only is that like incredibly arduous, yeah, it's, it's prone to a lot of errors and For mistakes. Sure. And so if you can build a, a more effective system, what it does is it actually makes it not only better for the enterprise, right? They can hire people really fast and have a lot more confidence in the people that they're hiring. But but listen, like looking for a job also sucks. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you can more effectively match talent with with effect you know, with the kinds of roles that are gonna be a good fit for them, you know, they spend less time searching and interviewing and more time, you know, actually actually, you know, working
0: yeah so did 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 you start this as as a way for for people to remain independent contractors was was in kind of in your mind's eye what that was going to be or was just a a way to bring on you know find full-time work combination
1: yeah so uh the network is a hundred percent you know uh full-time contractors right so these are people that do this as a career um, as consultants. so they're a UI UX consultant or a software architect or you know machine learning expert. more and more what you're seeing is is people leaving the traditional ranks of like a nine to five working for one company and basically taking their expertise now to a global market and and essentially you know focusing on what they do best and can, um, and doing it on their own terms versus you know the traditional W2 employment now it's almost 30% of americans are are freelancers
0: and i think that that's I think that that's amazing 30% of americans wow in how do you see do you do you have something in mind for for like traditional well that's that's kind of a dumb question in terms of employee benefits what's what's your thought process there
1: yeah great question and and obviously this is a, an issue that's, that's really pronounced here in the United States, right. And in, in other parts of the world, you know, they, they have, you know, public benefits, right. Um, yeah. Health insurance and things like that. Uh, but you know, uh, maternity leave and paternity leave, things like that, which, which I fundamentally believe should are, uh, are, are kind of basic citizenship rights and, and should be provided by the government. Um, that's my own personal opinion. Uh, so, so we have to balance the fact that we have a, you know talent across 100 countries and in some of the countries it's just really not an issue right um, while in the us it, it is a big big challenge my belief is that i think that uh, this will probably be solved by market forces now that there's such a large amount of freelancers let's just say there's you know 20 30 million freelancers in the united states now and that number is continuing to grow there's now a, a big enough to actually do kind of collective bargaining or, or collective negotiation for benefits. And so I think that, and also, frankly, it's, it becomes an attractive market for insurance companies to, to serve. Yeah. Traditionally, the way in which you sell benefits is you sell them through, through organizations, right? So you, the a health insurance company sells to a broker, brokers sell to, to a, a company. But as people are unwinding out of companies, you know, these big health insurance companies or or brokers, they don't really have a great way to to effectively market or sell to the individual buyer. So I think what will happen, is I think there will actually be some really interesting marketplace opportunities here uh, to to provide access to the best benefits for all of these freelancers and also um, a way for these larger, you know, insurance providers to to do more of a one-to-one sale versus selling through companies. So I think, and there's, of course, there's a bunch of companies working on this. So I think it will be solved by market forces here in the U.S. um, specifically for freelancers now that there's, you know, 20, 30 million.
0: That that makes sense. Well, Gabe, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Hmm,
1: do you want to focus on a personal finance or do you want to, is there a dimension that you'd like to, to dig into?
0: Let's do personal finance.
1: Uh, I would say spend less and live below your means. That's one of the challenges that I think everyone faces, especially as they, as they're growing up, starting to earn more income is continuing to kind of chase the, chase the Joneses, chase the other people in the neighborhood and continue to spend beyond their means. If there's one piece of advice when it comes to personal development is, is, or personal finances is just, you know, spend less than you make and live below your means.
0: Well, I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets, a, come on. Come on. That's That also gets an amen right there, brother. Thank you. <laughs> Gabe, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can people engage with Braintrust? Uh, so
1: Brain Trust, we're at usebraintrust.com. Uh, again, usebraintrust.com. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn and also on Twitter. I'm Gabe Luna O
0: at, on, uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn. Love it. Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Gabe your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to usebraintrust.com. Check out everything that he's working on. You can follow him on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Gabe. All righty, take good care. Huh? And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? strivedeto and get your mind, body, and money right.